May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Seated. It was a busy week at the church. Um, we had VBS Monday through Friday, 9 to noon. And uh, the kids had a blast. The adults survived. The adults had a blast too. And Helen and Jess, yeah, the, <laughs> the cleanup crew afterwards survived. But we're going to say more about that at announcement time. I have a, a little video that we'll show, and um, you can see what was happening this week at VBS. It was quite remarkable. We had a good group of kids, over 30 kids. Uh, last year, the first year we did it, we had about nine kids. So I'm thankful that God is growing that area of ministry here. I want to encourage you uh, this morning with just kind of a simple truth of the Scripture uh, based on our Old Testament lesson. And that is, the simple truth is, is that God, our God, is sovereign. Our God is the sovereign Lord of the earth, and He is working out His plans and purposes according to His perfect will. And we need to remember that because, of course, we live in uncertain times. And you look out and see what's happening, and sometimes it seems like things are spinning out of control. You know, just think about terrorism, and I don't have to go through the litany, but of just recent terrorist acts. In the last three weeks, you had Orlando, uh, that was three weeks ago, and then you had um, what happened in Istanbul, Turkey, and then Bangladesh. We look around and you know, the, the world today, and we wonder, is anyone in control? How, how is this going to get resolved? And it creates an atmosphere of uncertainty. I was talking to my grandmother, who's in her 90s, who lived through World War II, and asking her about that experience. What, what was it like here in the United States? Now, I know it was a lot different than Europe, but she said, you know, for me, this is a scarier time than what happened in World War II. Just the emotions and the uncertainty of what could happen here in America. So we live in uncertain times. We live in uncertain times politically, of course. Um, we know that with the election season that we're in and the uh, upcoming election, it's uncertain what's going to happen politically in this country and in Europe with the exit of Britain from the European Union which whether you think it's a good thing or you're not sure how it's going to turn out, it certainly has shaken things up for Europe. One commentator said this was a political earthquake for Europe. So we live in these times where uh, it's unstable. But here's something we can count on in uncertain times, that God is sovereign. And God's sovereignty does not squash human freedom or responsibility. God's sovereignty does not make human beings out to be puppets on his stream, but he is weaving his plans and purposes throughout the world today, and he's going to bring it to an ultimate conclusion where he redeems all things. Now, the reason I think this is a, a, a key point in this text is that the author of Second Kings is writing to a people, the people of Israel, and the original audience has already gone through exile. Uh, they have lost their land. They have lost their homes. They have lost their king. They have lost their temple. 
And he is writing these stories under the inspiration of God's spirit with a God's eye view on the history of Israel to remind them that the Lord God reigns, that he's sovereign, that he's ultimately in control. And so I want to point out some of these areas of sovereignty, the sovereignty of God in the story. And the first area is God is sovereign in his judgment. God is sovereign in his judgment. The very first verse we see the sovereignty of God to judge, to judge his own people. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. He's the commander of the army of the king of Syria. But then here's the shocking thing that the narrator says. Because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. What the narrator is saying is that God gave victory to an enemy of Israel. This person, I mean, uh, the Syrians and the, uh, the people of Israel were battling off and on. And the narrator looks at this battle that Israel lost and he says, God was in it. This was not a random event. God was directing this. And it's part of God's judgment on the people of Israel. This is a conviction of the author of 2 Kings that God uses nations as instruments of his judgment according to his sovereign purposes. And that the defeat of Israel and the demise of Israel and the suffering of Israel is not a meaningless, random event. It's not that this is just how the world works. There's one power greater than the other. And it's whoever has the biggest guns or the mightiest chariots wins. No. He's saying God's hand was in this. Listen to what 2 Kings 17 says. This is kind of a summary of the entire Book of Second Kings. And here the author is talking about what happened when Israel finally fell. The decisive blow when Assyria defeated Israel. And here's what he says. This is Second Kings 17.7. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. Who brought them out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they feared other gods. And they walked in the custom of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord, their God, things that were not right. And then it goes on and says, The Lord warned Israel and warned Judah by every prophet and seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways. And keep the commandments and the statutes that I've given to you. But they would not listen. They were stubborn. And they did not believe in the Lord their God. So the author is saying, this has happened as a result of God's sovereign decision to judge the people of Israel. It's uncomfortable for us sometimes to think about God as judge. We don't like to think of God that way. It's unsettling, but we see it all through the pages of Scripture, don't we? Sometimes I think people in our culture like to think of God as a doting grandfather. 
you know, that is going to affirm the grandchildren, and this is probably the way it should be with grandparents, uh, to affirm the grandchildren in almost everything they do. Whatever you do is just wonderful and delightful. And you come to your doting grandfather and he pats you on your head and sends you on your way. Maybe he gives you some candy. My, my dad always has his pockets full of candy when he sees the kids and sends, sends them on your way. And I think sometimes here in America, we think of God that way. A do- if there is a God, he's a doting grandfather who's there to affirm us in whatever we do and to give us candy once in a while. Throw us a couple of blessings. It's not the God of the Bible. It's not the God of Israel. This God is the sovereign Lord and King. What happens when you rebel against the King? There are consequences. And the Bible teaches that there are spiritual and moral consequences for rejecting God. Do not be deceived, Paul says. God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. It's kind of a scary and sobering thought if you think about what's happening in our world and in our country today. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. These, this terrible uh, defeat of Israel came as a sovereign judgment of God. And it was terrible. It was terrible that this little girl was taken from her home as a slave of war. Elisha, the prophet of God, in one place in 2 Kings, he sees what's coming because the people will not repent and he weeps, he breaks down because of the suffering that's to come. But the narrator of 2 Kings is very firm in this, that there are consequences to rejecting God. I heard of uh, a dad recently, this story caught my attention, it's a true story of a dad uh, who went to a department store with his teenage daughter to buy her some clothes. (laughs) He hadn't been to a department store in a while. And he walked to this department store and he he saw the pictures and the posters on the wall of this store. And um, you've probably seen it. You know, people his daughter's age in lewd poses with boys their age. And as he's walking through it, his blood pressure begins to rise. His hackles are up. And his daughter's saying, don't say anything, Dad. Don't say anything, Dad. But he couldn't help himself. He gets up to the counter and he says to the teenage clerks, he says, I I know you didn't have anything to do with what's on these walls, but I want you to tell you, to tell you, to tell your manager, I find this highly offensive as a father to a teenage daughter. And we won't be coming back here ever again. And the daughter is just like, oh, you know, she's wanting to slink away and hide under a rock. Can't believe you did this to me, Dad. And the teenage clerks just kind of, they turn their backs. And as they're walking away, though, one of the teenagers turned turned around and he said, I wish my dad cared enough to say something when he saw something wrong. I wish my dad cared enough to say something when he sees something wrong. And what I'm saying is, in these stories of the judgment of God, what it's teaching us is that our God cares. Our God is not morally apathetic. Our God cares when there is wrong. He will do something to correct it. He brings judgment. God is morally serious. And God is at work now in the world sovereignly judging good and evil But these are pictures foreshadowing the day of ultimate judgment when he will finally 
settle things once and for all. And the good news, of course, as Christians, is that we are hidden from the judgment of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. But these stories foreshadow the day of the final judgment. So we see God's sovereignty here in just verse 1 in judgment. Boy, I've got a lot to go through, don't I? I'm going to encapsulate the other in just one point. Here's the good news, that we see God's sovereignty in compassion. His sovereign act of compassion that breaks through barriers. (laughs) Barriers that we erect. Barriers of culture, barriers of religion. God is sovereignly acting in compassion to heal this Gentile man who's an enemy of Israel, Naaman, who's a leper. I don't know about you, but when I read this story and began to think about Naaman, I thought, there's not a whole lot of here to like about Naaman. I mean, for starters... Uh, he has a girl as a slave that he um, carried off during war. I know that was part of the culture then and it happens now, but it's just kind of hard to stomach. Uh, he's a bit of a prima donna. Not a bit. He is a prima donna. He's a prideful prima donna. He's in a very high place of authority. And he's used to going first class for everything. And uh, he's used to having a bunch of yes men around him. And so when he comes, he hears about there could be healing in Israel. He goes to the king of Israel with a truckload of money to show who he is and how important this is and how important he is. He brings 10 talents of silver to the king, 6,000 shekels of gold. If you do a little research, 10 talents of silver is 750 pounds of silver. 6,000 shekels of gold is the equivalent of the annual salary of 600 common laborers in that day. This guy is bringing a huge amount of money to demonstrate how important he is, how important this issue is, who he is. And he goes to the king of Israel. And this is kind of humorous because at this point, it seems like there's a cessation of hostility between Israel and and Syria. There's sort of a lull in hostility. But the king of Israel is saying, what's going on here? You know, this is something fishy. This is some sort of trick that you think I can cure you of. Leprosy? Only God can do that. Ah, he's right about that. Only God can do that. So Elijah gets wind of this. And he says, send him to me. So that he might know there's a prophet in Israel. That he might know that God's word is alive. That there is a God who has compassion to heal. Now, Naaman wants the royal healing treatment. He, 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 he doesn't like what Elijah or Elisha is doing here. He's going to have to learn, in order to be healed, he needs to be humbled. You see, he's got to become like a child, and that's where God is going to take him. But in order to be healed by the Lord, in order to be restored by the Lord, this is a lesson for all of us, we have to be humble. We have to come to that place that Naaman's at, where he says, I don't have any other solutions. I might have all this truckload of money and power, but for this problem, I need the Lord. But yet he thinks God's got to do it his way. He's used to flying first class and he wants to go first class again. He says, I I thought you would come out. I thought he would come out and and wave his hands over me. Doesn't he know who I am? 
But he wants me to go wash in this dirty river. There are other rivers I could wash in. I was out and about the other day, Friday, visiting a parishioner, and I came past the church sign. And you know how some churches will put the sermon title out on the marquee. And uh, the title of the sermon was Seven Ducks in a Dirty River. It took me a while to think about it, to realize where that was coming from. So this person was preaching on the same passage. Naaman has ducked seven times in the dirty Jordan River. And it says that his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So the big man became like a little child. But God in his compassion and in his mercy broke through all these boundaries to heal this Gentile who is actually an enemy of Israel. Boy, that is shocking. And maybe even a little unsettling. But God in His sovereignty can do that. Well, you know, God is still at work doing those sorts of things today. And this is what I want to get across. That our God is still at work in the world today doing amazing, incredible things. And we only get a glimpse of what He's doing. But let me just give you some things. Maybe you've heard these things before. But let me remind you. Did you know that one of the fastest places for church growth in the world right now is happening in Iran? I've got an article from Christianity Today talking about this growth of the church in Iran of all places, which where it's illegal to be a Christian. And of course, missionaries have had to try to penetrate the Muslim world for, for centuries and haven't been that successful. But there is, it's a small group, of course, it's a very small group, but it's rapidly growing through the house church movement in Iran. And I have this picture in this article of hundreds of Iranians being baptized. One researcher who has a PhD from the University of Chicago spent two and a half years traveling in Muslim lands, interviewing more than 1,000 Muslims, and he said this in his book. Again, this is a guy with a PhD from the University of Chicago, did all this research, he said, in my opinion, we are, living in the, we are living in the midst of the greatest turning of Muslims to Christ in history. In history. Again, it's a very small number, but it's significant because God is doing something. He's reaching across borders and barriers, doing something that we haven't been able to do before. But God in his sovereignty is moving across boundaries to save and redeem and to heal people. So that's the encouragement today. Well, where does it where does it take us? What does it mean for us? You know, we don't know what tomorrow holds. God does, but we don't. But we know what God has called us to do today. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know what God has called us to do today. And I think my takeaway from this is that we ought to be like this little Jewish girl. This little Jewish girl who was in difficult circumstances, who had suffered a great deal, but she heard of somebody who was in need of the healing power and touch of the Lord of Israel. And she spoke up and she said, I know who can help you. Who are the Naamans around us? Who are the people in our world where maybe we look at them and we really don't like them or we think they're too far gone, they're outside of the reach of God? Who are the Naamans in our world that we need to be praying for? Who are the people in our culture that are taking us in a direction we don't want to go? We need to start praying for those sorts of people. 
And who are the people in our sphere of influence who are hurting? Who need a touch from the Lord God? Who need to know there's a God who cares? I was with uh, Noah's baseball team. We wrapped up our season this week. And there's a man there who's going through some difficult times. Really, the whole team knows kind of what's happening to his family. And uh, I just went up to him and just asked how he's doing, you know, and um, I'm not putting myself forward as any sort of model of, of being a witness for Christ because I don't do well in this area. But God was nudging me to speak to him. I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. I've been better. I need peace. Would you pray for me to have peace? Lots of people like that in our world today. Because of family situations, because of addictions, because of job losses, because maybe they've lived the dream and they're finding at the end of the rainbow there's not a pot of gold. They're still empty. They're all around us. The Naamans who need to know what Naaman found out here. Now I know there's no God in the whole world except the God of Israel. There is a God who's alive and who cares. Jesus said in our gospel reading that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray that. Let's get out into the harvest field, too. Gracious God, we do ask that you would remind us in this uncertain season and unstable time. In this topsy-turvy world, really, it's always been this way. But you have always been Lord. You've always been sovereign. Help us to put our hope in you. And help us, God, to do what you've called us to do. To speak up and to point people to the God of Israel. The God and Savior of our Lord Jesus Christ. Revealed in Jesus Christ. We pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.